I'm turning this morning to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter number 14. And we'll be looking today at verses 13 through 21. And our subject this morning, of course, we'll expound the text as we are accustomed to doing. But I also want us to think on the subject today of the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ. If you'll look with me at just verse 14 as we begin, the Bible says, Matthew 14, 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion toward them and He healed their sick. Jesus' compassion is a compassion that is certainly worth following the example of. I would also submit to you today that compassion is not natural. Compassion, I believe, is a learned Christ-like behavior. Being a believer does not simply make one a compassionate person. Compassion is not even the same as having a concern for or a care for. Compassion comes from the very depths of our soul. Compassion comes from a place that honestly, true Christ-like compassion can only be given by God. Yet we have an example here of the compassion that the Lord Jesus had towards those who were sick. Those who will also see were hungry. We left off last week the, the story of the death of John the Baptist. And the final verse we looked at is the disciples had taken up the body of John. And the last thing we read about them is they went and they told Jesus. What a conversation that must have been. We're not told if the disciples told Jesus with tears. We're not told if they told Him with a level of concern. But we do see what Jesus' response was. When Jesus heard of it, He departed. It sounds like a strange reaction to such a tragedy. He departed. Where was He going? Why was He leaving? Why now? Why is Jesus not going back to Herod and demanding justice? Why is He not going and arguing as a counselor before a judge and saying, you have executed an innocent man? Why is Jesus departing? It's one of those great mysteries, again, that shows us how our minds don't quite work the same way. I myself would have wanted to get my pound of flesh, if you will. How could you take John, a man who's done nothing but simply proclaimed what he was told to proclaim? He simply preached the gospel. He preached repentance to Herod. And of course, we studied that story last week, so I will not repeat all of that. But notice that he heard of it and we're told he departed by ship. And he went to a desert place, a place of solitude, a place of retirement, a place when he got away from the things that he needed to get away from. 
world, we're told, as he went by ship. We also know throughout the Gospels, it was very difficult for the Lord to get time apart. It was very difficult for the Lord to just simply retire. He knew the absolute need of this. Jesus gives us an example of also how we ought to come apart to pray. I was pressed in my own heart this week about how busy and how much I personally take on. And I do not set time apart to just simply pray. The most neglected aspect of our Christian life, I have no doubt of this at all, is our prayer life. And I'm not talking about the prayer that you pray quickly when you sit down for a meal. I'm not talking about the prayer that you pray when you lay your head down at night. I'm talking about coming apart to pray in solitude, in true retirement. I can say with 100% certainty, I know things can't be 100%, but this is. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need that. Say, I'm all prayed up. Pray again. I prayed for an hour this morning. Pray again. You literally are to set time to pray. Set time to just think and to contemplate. We, we are in such a busy environment and we are in such a hurry. We are in such a driven mode that we are losing the, the spiritual discipline of just simply being still and going apart to pray. Now, this is not a message about prayer. But that is exactly what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was in very high demand. Everybody wanted a piece of Him. Sadly, most people only wanted what they could get from Him, which is, I want some healing. I want some I want some good things to come into my life. And I would say this again, and it's not a message about prayer, but if your prayer life is only reserved for getting something from God, your prayer life is probably very weak and probably very anemic. The purpose of prayer is not to get. The purpose of prayer is to give. It's to give glory to whom honor is due. All glory and all praise and honor. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about giving glory to God. It's about giving God the glory so that God makes your will, His will, your will. Suddenly now, we don't want what we want. We want what God wants. There's not a believer on this planet that God does not want to have a compassionate heart. Compassion is learned. It's not natural. It was difficult for Jesus to get alone. It was difficult for Jesus to get into these times of solitude. And we see that this very thing is taking place in our text. As soon as He departed, look what happens. When the people heard. Heard what? They heard where Jesus was heading. They followed Him on foot. Now think about this. Where's Jesus? He's on a ship. They're following Him on foot. You can almost see it, can't you? Jesus is out on a ship sailing along the shore maybe, and they're following Him down the shoreline. So much for solitude. So much for retirement. So much for a time to come apart and pray. I asked myself this question all this week. 
how would I have responded to the people following me on foot when I wanted to get alone with my Heavenly Father? My human nature screamed at me exactly what you would do. You would try to get that ship sailing in another direction so they couldn't figure out where you were going. I don't have time to be bothered with these people. I do not have time to deal with the issues of the day. And we're going to see the contrast between Jesus' response and the disciples. And I would submit to you, you are probably would have the attitude like the disciples, which is the same attitude that I had, which is, I don't have time for you. Don't you know I'm the Lord, he could have said? Don't you know I'm the Savior and I'm, I'm busy? The multitude was not going to permit him to rest. They certainly aren't going to permit him to pray. Some were, some were curious. Some had great needs. So here they follow him on foot. Now, if they were all eager to hear the word of God, I would imagine that every preacher would say, glory to God, they all want to come hear the word of God being preached and proclaimed. But they didn't all want that. Some just wanted the benefits of what he could give them. Some were indifferent to whether or not of their spiritual condition. They just wanted what they wanted. So even as our Lord leaves, He finds a congregation following Him, waiting for Him. And notice what He does when He sees them. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved. I'm going to give you, I think, the, the most biblically accurate definition of what it means to be moved with compassion in a few moments. But I want us to get to that point. Notice his compassion that he was moved by was toward them. Compassion is towards another. We have no problems being compassionate to ourselves. We love ourselves more than you think you love yourself. You'll provide for yourself. You'll help yourself. You'll nurture yourself. You'll say, I'm worthy of this. I deserve this. We are very compassionate people towards our own needs. But notice his compassion was not towards him. His compassion was towards them. That's quite a tremendous difference. You can be compassionate towards yourself, but what about them? Some very obvious observations here. Number one, Jesus didn't invite them to come unto him. He didn't say, follow me in this case. He didn't say, hey, you can see me. Come to me for a blessing. But we also don't see that he didn't respond in anger. He didn't respond in inconvenience. He didn't respond by being disappointed that he was being kept from that which what he wanted to do the most. He wanted to come apart and pray. I've seen us personally in my own life try to avoid showing compassion on someone else and used a holy reason why. I can't come to you now because I have to pray. Did I show a lack of compassion? I would say I probably did. 
Did I need to come apart and pray? I've already told you, we all need to come apart and pray. So what's the problem? Obviously, I have not learned the compassion of our Lord yet. He didn't show disappointment. He receives them in a tender fashion. He blesses them graciously, right? Not only does He attend to them, He attends to those who needed it the most, the sick. Now, these two verses, it is a very, it is a very much a declaration of facts. We're not given any details. We're not told who the sick were. We're not told what ailments they had. We're simply told he was moved with compassion toward those and he healed their sick. So first of all, I want us to see the display. These are very simple headings today because I think today, I think what we need more than anything is a very, very simple biblical sermon on the compassion of Christ. The first thing we see is the display of his compassion. It displays Christ's deep compassion for man. He went forth, saw a multitude, moved, healed. You can never overthink Christ's compassion too often. You can never think about His compassion. We even read in Hebrews 5 in our Scripture reading that He is a compassionate high priest. Not sometimes compassionate, not compassionate when it's convenient, but compassionate at all times in every way towards sinful man. There's no question in my mind He healed sick people who really were not there for the spiritual aspect of it. And He healed them. Our Lord's character should be remembered. Our Lord's character of being a Christ of compassion, we should never declare it too frequently. We should continually speak of it. Compassion does suggest a movement of the heart. It suggests that the heart is being moved from self to someone else. The very heart of compassion is moving the heart. Now I understand that the heart can be deceitful. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But this is what the concept behind a compassionate heart is. It's to change the heart towards my needs and move it towards the needs of someone else. The movement of Christ's heart here was toward the sick and the needy. It shows us just how tender Christ is. It shows how affectionate our Lord was and is. How often do we read of our Savior's compassion towards men? Think about various examples in Scripture where Christ's heart was moved with compassion. Think about in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. The Bible tells us, Jesus, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The imagery there, the beauty of these people did not have a good king. They did not have someone good watching out for them and yet His heart is moved with compassion. What about Matthew 20, verse 34? with the two blind men. 
that he sees as he's leaving Jericho. Matthew 20, verse 34. Uh, and let's go by verse 30 of Matthew 20. He says, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto Him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed Him. What about Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41? A leper, outcast of society. Mark 1, verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. What about Luke 7? We're introduced to a woman referred to as the widow of Nain. She's going to bury her son. Think about that for a moment. And we see this widow and going through probably parents would say the most difficult valley the most difficult thing they could ever endure Luke 7 verse 11 and it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain and many of his disciples went with him and much people now when he came nigh to the gate of the city behold there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother and she was a widow and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And of course, the Lord performs a great miracle there. He touches the very bed in which He's laying upon. And He says, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And He sits up. Compassion. And then, let's consider the Good Samaritan. Luke 10. Verse 30, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, notice this sequence, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. 
Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Folks, these words and these scripture references are not given to us just to simply fill up pages or to fill a space of time. These words are written in the Scriptures because the Lord God intends for us to understand first and foremost that He's a God of compassion. He's not just a God of compassion. He is compassion. He's full of compassion. He's not just one who displays compassion when it's convenient. He is one who displays compassion at all times. Listen, the Spirit of God today, there's no question in my mind, every time we gather together, every time you read the Scripture by yourself, it's not just to fill time. It's so that we will have an understanding of these great attributes of our God. Compassion is an intentional moving of the heart. Once we're assured of God's compassion towards us, what are we to do with that compassion? We are to display that compassion to someone else. Christ's mercies. Christ's demonstration of compassion. His display of these compassions is a display of God Himself. What you see Christ doing is the compassion of God. In Christ, we see not only the God-man, the man who came to this earth, fully man, fully God, came as our Savior, bringing complete mercy, bringing tenderness towards His people, full of compassion. Do you know it takes His compassion to forgive your sin? I bet we didn't think about Christ's compassion and forgiveness. He has compassion on the sick. We were all spiritually, not just sick, dead in our trespasses and sins. Moved with compassion. Not because of worthiness in of ourselves, but yet He showed a tenderness towards us. He forgives our iniquity. What God should have done What God should have done is destroyed every last one of us. But He didn't. If you know the compassion of Christ displayed towards you, it should not just be something that was displayed towards you. It should be something that you are displaying towards someone else. You can't redeem a soul, but you can certainly show compassion on someone. Folks, it is is severely lacking in the church today. Severely. Not just our church. In the church of the living God. If we are the church of the living God and compassion is lacking, can we really call ourselves the church of the living God? You can't be part of the church of the living God and, be non- and not be compassionate. Because it is the very display of Christ's compassion that is our pattern. Now notice back in our text, not only the display... And again, I've made these alliterate today because I want us to remember this in a very simple way. I want you to see the depth. How deep 
did Christ's compassion go? Well, when He saw the sick, He healed them. When He saw the thousands of people, there's no doubt, who were in that place following Him, and you're going to see here in just a moment, people that were ready to die of hunger, He's moved with compassion to feed them. Notice the second half, or notice verse 15. Again, plain declaration of facts. He was moved. He healed. Verse 15, And when it was evening, His disciples came to Him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. What was happening here is those groups that were following Him, they stayed. They didn't go home. It's time for them to be fed. They need to eat. The disciples did exactly, let's be honest, what I probably would have done. Send them home. Let them go to their own villages and get their own victuals. I wouldn't have used victuals. Let them provide for themselves. The disciples' lack of compassion is being contrasted with our Lord's compassion. Now, if anybody had the right to declare who he was going to feed and who he wasn't going to feed, who was it? The disciples or Christ? It was, of course, Jesus Christ is the only one who could declare who I'm going to show compassion on and who I won't show compassion on. Romans teaches us, God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I am the one who declares that. But notice how quickly Jesus rebukes them. I know in our modern church, who we don't want to be offended by anything, think that Jesus was just probably very calm about this. I think he responded with what could have been declared as a rebuke. Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. No, they don't need to leave. And he immediately tells them, give ye them to eat. He's not just trying to reach the end. He's trying to teach His disciples, have compassion on those that are hungry. We sometimes turn our faith into just a means to an end. Folks, that's not what compassion is about. Compassion is not about just getting to the end. There, I did my good deed for the day. Can I go back to what I originally had planned? And isn't it interesting that he tells his disciples to feed them? His first instruction is not, men, watch this. His first instruction is, feed them. So he puts it in their hand, and look what he says. Now Jesus is fully aware what they have. Five loaves, two fishes. Did Jesus know how much they had when he said, give them to eat? Of course he did. And notice their lack of faith, of course. They say unto him, we have here, this is a, this is, there's a doubt in this. We have here, but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither to me. And we'll come to this, how he does this in a moment. Again, compassion. The word compassion is a, an expressive word. Now, 
This is not the only definition of it. It's a definition that helped me this week. I hope it'll help you. Spurgeon put the definition of compassion this way. That compassion is having your whole being stirred to its lowest depth. And with regard to Christ, and therefore He proceeded at once to work miracles of mercy among them. It is being stirred to the lowest depth of the very heart of who we are and then actually performing an act of mercy. Compassion is not walking by someone on the street and saying, Lord bless you, I hope somebody takes care of you soon. That Good Samaritan story, there's a lot more to that than where you have time to talk about today. But you realize it's not even just picking someone up, setting them back on the street and say, okay, God bless you as you go. The Samaritan actually took that man, bound up his wounds, put him back up on his beast, took him to an inn, and actually said to the innkeeper, here's payment for this man. And whatever this man, whatever your expenses that go above what it's already cost, when I come back, I'll pay those too. See, our Christianity is turned into just an act of a good deed here, a good deed there, and we think we're good with God. I showed compassion to that person today. I, I held the door for the, the person who couldn't walk without a cane. Look, those are all good deeds, but compassion is having your whole being stirred to where you actually perform an act. Remember, the people that were following him were not invited to follow him in this instant. And yet, he's now going to feed thousands of people. He's going to feed people in the crowd who do not have any faith in him and they have no love for him. How many people are we having compassion on who are not believers? We are so quick to scream at people about how lost they are. And again, they are lost. They are undone. They are without Christ. How proud we are to tell them how wicked you are. But we don't commit a single act of compassion on them. And we walk away and say, praise God, I let them have it. No, you failed to display the compassion of Christ in your desire to declare how intellectual and an intellectual, holy, theological giant you are. You failed to show compassion. I've been guilty. Many, many, many times. If this isn't for you today, it's for me. Because compassion is learned. Jesus, the perfect teacher, is teaching his disciples how to be compassionate. Now we get caught up in the miracle itself, and I'm not saying the miracle is not a big deal. But do you realize that really what Matthew is doing and all the other gospel writers are doing, they're just declaring factually what happened 
We don't need to try to get into a whole lot of different uh, illustrations and try to present this in a clever way. He's declaring factually, here's what happened. We should never be at a place where we say, that person is not worthy of my compassion. They don't love the Lord, so I don't have to be compassionate to them. How hard is it to show compassion to another person who is a believer? That should be very simple for us, but we even struggle with that. Let us never question the character of our God and the question and the character of His compassion. Micah 7 verses 18 and 19 declare that He delights in mercy. Everyone who professes to be a follower of Christ should follow Him in His example of mercy and compassion. We are to walk worthy of our calling. We are to walk worthy of what's been given to us. Remember that, remember that passage that we tried to teach our kids and make sure they know that? We, this was probably one of the first verses we tried to teach our kids when they were little. It always came up. It's Ephesians 4.32. I've heard so many messages preached that they just conveniently leave out verse 32. What does it say? Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Again, there's a chapter break. I think it's unfortunate because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Paul clearly says, as you've been forgiven and as kindness has been shown to you, walk worthy of that and walk in the same love. Walk in that compassion. So Jesus clearly sees the disciples display their lack of compassion and He immediately turns to instruct them. Third heading beginning here in verse 17. Again, simple heading. All alliterated. The demonstration of Christ's compassion. Verse 17, they say unto Him, we have here but five loaves, two fishes. He said, bring them hither to Me. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, He blessed and brake and gave the loaves to His disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about five thousand men Notice this, beside women and children. Now, if you read the gospel accounts of this miracle, there is really no difference. We have to get into all the nuances between the differences. All three of the writers primarily tell the same story. This is simply to be a plain, direct script of the facts. I've heard entire sermons centered around the size of the fish and the size of the bread, as if that matters at all. No matter what happens here, a Creator God, in order to feed that many people, had to create something from nothing. I don't care if they were sardines. I don't care if it was this big, two of them. You're not feeding 
5,000 men, not including the women and children, unless you create something from nothing. I'm not going to waste your time declaring what I think if it was a sardine or a big fish because it doesn't matter. But what it does declare is that the almighty, almighty creator God is a compassionate God who is moved with compassion on the sick and is moved with compassion on the hungry and He feeds them and He heals them. What does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus Christ, by performing this miracle, was proving Himself to be God. Remember, people couldn't argue with the miracles, but they would not, they would not acknowledge that He was God. But now... Not only could he perform miracles, now he's creating something out of nothing. He's creating bread. He's creating fish. If he has creating power, he must be God. It is not possible for that amount of food to have been able to feed the numbers of people that were standing there without him creating. What do we have then before us? We have an undeniable proof of Christ's omnipotence. He is all-powerful as the mighty God. Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah promises that the Messiah would be both a man born of a woman and the mighty God, Isaiah 9.6. In this display of feeding the hungry with five loaves and two small fishes, the Lord declares His omnipotence. Now, if you're interested in these numbers, at the very least, okay, and this is again, this is just from my study. We're not going to argue over which number is right. He fed on that day at least 20,000 people, maybe upwards of 25,000 people with five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. Either way, we see an almighty, omnipotent creator God. A God who has compassion. The task at hand to feed all of these men was impossible for anyone to do other than God. God would have to do it. Man couldn't do it. Man couldn't replicate it. Only God who has creative power. Psalm 136.5 says, To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. The Creator God has mercy, has compassion on not only the sick, but He has compassion on the hungry. So what was the purpose of this miracle? To feed the belly? To just show another reason that He does interesting things? Matthew does not convey this, but John does. Look at John 6. Here's one way that we can actually compare Scripture with Scripture, and we see John fill in some blanks here that Matthew does not talk about. doesn't mean they're contradictory accounts. Again, each one is right under the inspiration of the Spirit. But look at John 6 and look at verse 11. Now Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. 
Therefore, they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come in to the world. You realize that the fruit of this miracle, this miracle of compassion, was that people would believe that Christ was this promised Messiah. God, through Christ Himself, has given us innumerable proofs of who He is. He's given us undeniable examples of His identity. And one of the most tender ways, again, you are not going to come to Christ apart from repentance and believing the Gospel. But you realize that even the command to repent and believe in Christ alone is a command and a call to come to a compassionate God. Folks, we can get so hardened in our hearts and we can get our doctrine and our theology so strong and so stiff that we forget to preach the Gospel with compassion. No unbeliever is going to be impressed with your theology and your theological endeavors. But if you preach the Gospel and you preach it with the compassion in which Christ preached the Gospel, folks, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We can get a lot of things right and miss some of the most tender, beautiful parts of Christ that we're not supposed to miss. Sign up young preachers and try to teach them how to preach a gospel message and they'll be, they will have no problem hammering the sinner deserves hell and the sinner deserves to be cast off. They'll have no problem preaching repentance. And sometimes we're all guilty of this. We preach it as if we're angry at the sinner. And we're screaming and spitting at them and we, they wonder what is the matter with that man? Folks, where is the compassion? Are we really moved, stirred to the very depths of our soul that someone we may come in contact this week is actually, they are in unbelief right then. And we have the, we have the promises of God's sovereignty. We have the promises that God's not going to lose one. But that should not make us hardened. That should make us more compassionate. You and I are not the one responsible for converting the soul. You don't need to change how your delivery is unless you're screaming at people all the time. Listen, when you're talking over coffee this week or when you're speaking with a friend on a phone, if you still do that, have compassion. I'm not sure we really stop and think about what it is to be condemned. You say, well, 
I'll have compassion on those who can return something unto me. Jesus had compassion on many people and those thousands of people who were fed who never ever did believe on Him. They never did come to faith. Does that mean He shouldn't have done it? Absolutely not. You should find opportunities to show compassion. And not just, hey, Lord bless you as you go. I hope somebody down the line carries on the rest of this. No, we take it from beginning to end. You see, the tender mercies of the Lord and Christ, the demonstration here, it flows. And remember, it was compassion and mercy that was given directly to us. We know the compassion of an almighty creating God by the mercy that Christ shows. Listen, the mercy and the compassion that Christ shows are the mercies and compassions of God. Hebrews 2, verses 16 and 17 says, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. If nothing else today, for the believer, this is a call to remind us of the compassion of Jesus Christ and how we ought to be compassionate. We ought to show compassion. We ought to have the depth to see and be moved and actually do something. You know, it was not that many years ago that the church, the true church, was known for that. And I'm going to say this, maybe this is to our own reproof and our own chastening, not by me, but by God. The churches that are doing the best job at showing compassion, for the most part, have their doctrine wrong. Now you go and figure that. The church was supposed to be a place that people could look to and say, if I want to see compassion, if I want to see mercy, if I want to see long-suffering, if I want to see patience, I'm going to look to the church. Listen, we have never, nor are we ever going to put a gate around this place and say, listen, this is just for the reserved precious few who've got it all together. We might as well cease to exist. But how can churches that have the doctrine wrong be more compassionate than we are? And in many ways, they are. And sadly, the compassion they're demonstrating leads to bad doctrine. Here, we should have the right compassion that matches the proper doctrine. So for the unbeliever today, if we, as a church, fail to be compassionate as we should, Christ is always compassionate. Don't put your trust in men because men are going to fail you. But Christ is compassionate. He will in no wise cast anyone out who comes unto Him. How many times have we heard that? It's becoming common to us. He will in no wise cast anyone out who comes to Him. And I trust today that if you have not repented of your sins and you have not believed in Christ alone, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that He would convert your soul today. But that those of us that are believers... May we leave this place with a desire to actually be moved with compassion.
and demonstrate the compassion of our Lord. Let's conclude by singing the hymn on 160.